This is Ira Glass of This American Life, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian and political commentator Will Durst. Well, yeah, it's hard to see anything helping to change this chaos and fraud. So there's always these bright, shiny objects. I mean, I think my, my most, uh, it started that day when he demanded that he had the most well-attended inaugural in history when, when, you know. We last spoke to Will in February of 2016, right as the election was picking up steam. And, uh, of course, we haven't talked to him since the big election, so we'll get his thoughts on all that and the current political climate, all the usual subjects we discuss with Will. Uh, We have a dumb bit coming up. The song of the week is from the pains of being pure at heart. But first, let's get to that dumb bit. Time for another installment of... It's Facebook, not Factbook. This actually doesn't come from Facebook, but it comes from Twitter, which is the next best thing. And it is from our old friends, of course, at Newsbusters. Newsbusters are aghast because the new Star Trek series boldly goes godless. And it's an article that was uh, lifted from Entertainment Weekly about the new Star Trek Discovery series. Apparently... Uh, there is, and this is right from the Entertainment Weekly website, so this is not, uh, this part isn't uh, not factual or unfactual, but uh, apparently they're shooting one of the scenes for it, and uh, the, the captain of the Discovery uh, says, well, I'll read it here from here. Uh, well, he said, lock on the bird of prey, Lorca barks, basic pattern, beta nine, hard to port, fire or something for God's sake. And then the director yells cut. And then the, the writer of the episode, Kristen Beyer, comes over and she says, you can't say for God's sake. And the actor says, well, why, why can't I say that? And she explains that Star Trek's creator, Gene Roddenberry's vision of science-driven 23rd century, a future with where religion basically no longer exists. And he says, well, can I say for F's sake? And she says, you can say that, but you can't say God. Well... Of course, the Newsbusters people are, are, are simply aghast at this. And, uh, of course, uh, the th- first thing that pops into my head is a scene from an episode of the original series called Bread and Circuses. Now, in Bread and Circuses, the uh, crew lands on a planet that is much like ancient Rome, and uh, these uh, uh, sun-worshipping people help out the Enterprise crew uh, to escape uh, the trouble that they are in. And at the end of the episode, they're on the bridge saying, you know, boy, it, it, Spock says, you know, it's weird that uh, that Rome had a, uh, that, that this Rome had a sun-worshipping society because there weren't any sun, there weren't any sun-worshippers uh, in Rome. And uh, Lieutenant Uhura steps over and says this. I'm afraid you have it all wrong, Mr. Spock, all of you. I've been monitoring some of their old-style radio waves. The Empire spokesman trying to ridicule their religion. Don't you understand? It's not the sun up in the sky. It's the son of God. Whoops. And Gene Roddenberry is probably standing right there. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, in the future, you know, Gene had all kinds of crazy ideas. The great bird, as we call him. Like uh, putting a broad, a second in command. (laughs) Crazy. And having all these different nationalities on the Enterprise. Come on, dude. But um, no, and then uh, below this post on the Newsbusters actual website that has this story, another guy uh, has a quote of Captain Kirk from Who Mourns for Adonis, where they run into, uh, they got Adonis, or Apollo they run into. And uh, the, Kirk tells them, we're not in, we don't worship gods, we find one quite sufficient. And there's other cases like this where they've, uh, you know, been a, a little, a touch religious, in, at least in the original series. So, uh, and, oh, and then uh, Kirk adds this, by the way. 
Caesar. And Christ, they had them both. And the word is spreading only now. The philosophy of total love and total brotherhood. It will replace their imperial Rome, but it will happen in their 20th century. Wouldn't it be something to watch, to be a part of? To see it happen all over again. That does not sound like a vision of the future where there is no God, because uh, Kirk seems pretty well-versed on the subject, as, of course, does Lieutenant Uhura, and even Spock, for crying out loud. Okay, so here's the, the problem I have. I looked up Kristen Beyer. She uh, is actually a novelist. She wrote a lot of uh, novels for the Star Trek Voyager series. They're based on the Voyager uh, TV series. So she's been in the Star Trek universe for a while. Uh, I guess she's maybe either misinformed or not well-versed in the original series, maybe, and that's perfectly possible. She's probably in her mid-30s, I reckon. Uh, my late friend Jim Lugers was just a little younger than me, much more next-generation and Star Trek movie guy. He didn't know a lot about the original series. And uh, he often said we should go to a convention, and between the two of us, between my knowledge of the original series and his knowledge of the uh, next generation, we could probably clean up. But anyway... Uh, so a much more interesting storyline for Newsbusters, I think, would have been, oh, Star Trek has forgotten its religious roots or has forgotten that it, you know, what it once thought about religion. And this lady's a bit misinformed. But see, then you're just hanging it on one person. And it's way more fun and beneficial for Newsbusters to trash the entire uh, the Star Trek universe and the great bird of the galaxy, Gene Roddenberry, than it's just to say, oh, this writer might have gotten it wrong. Here are some examples from the series that show, because that's, that's too positive. If, if you play the clips like I just did, you're like, oh, Star Trek really touched on religion in a favorable way a couple of times. Way more fun to say that, oh, they don't want you to say God anymore on Star Trek. So, uh, not from Facebook, but still. It's Facebook, not Factbook. Will Durst is a stand-up comedian and political commentator who got his start in the San Francisco comedy scene. It's always fun to talk to him about politics and such matters. Here now is our interview with Will Durst. Hey, Durst, it's P.F. Wilson from City Pages and P.F. Tape Reporter Podcast. What's up? Hey, P.F., how you doing, man? Pretty good. How you been? It's all good. Cool. Well, um, I actually did the intro for the podcast ahead of this, and I noted that uh, we haven't spoken since uh, February of 2016, right when the election really started to pick up some steam. And so I haven't really had a chance to, of course, get your reaction. But the first thing I would want to ask you on that is, in previous conversations we've had before and after elections, your business dies down, you said, quite a bit after an election. But how is it looking now? <laughs> oh, my God. It's, uh, normally, it, it shrinks, and now it's shooting past the outer over Neptune's third moon. It's, uh, people need to hear political comedy. I don't know what it is. Oh, yeah, especially now. So... You, you would say post-election business has been better this time around then than ever before? Than ever before. I was all prepared to do my uh, Hil- uh, my Hillary Clinton as president, so let's talk about something else. That's sad. <laughs> but, no, uh, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's almost cathartic. People need this as therapy. Yeah, I um, speak to a lot of comedians and even the ones that don't do political material still have one or two jokes now because it is so pervasive in our lives this whole this whole thing 
Yeah, it's like I'm uh, Dr. Durst, you know, helping them overcome their PTSD, their President Trump stress disorder. <laughs> so is is there a, 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 a an overwhelming plethora of material for you with this thing? Because it seems like every day there's like four or five things you could zero in on. Uh, not just, not you... just every day, but every, I mean, I switch between baseball and the news and shit happens between batters. <laughs> exactly. So what, what, what's been the craziest thing you think uh, so far? Because you've, you know, you've been at this a while, of course. So and in your years of political observation, what's the craziest thing? Or can you single one out even? Well, yeah, it's hard to single anything out because he uses chaos as fog. True, yeah. So there's always these bright, shiny objects. I mean, I think my, my most, uh, it started on day one and he demanded that he had the most well-attended inaugural in history when, when you know, visual evidence proved a lot. I think we knew what we were, yeah. He set the bar low. He didn't just set the bar, he buried the bar. With a front loader, so you couldn't find it with a diesel powered metal detector. And the weird thing is, people were fine with it. Well, people seem some people seem to be fine with it. It's, uh, but a surprising number of people seem to be just fine with it. Yeah, these are the same people who who hated Obamacare, but are now protesting to keep the Affordable Care Act intact. Yep. These are the same people who who wanted to get rid of the corruption in Washington by hiring a New York City real estate developer. <laughs> yep. Um, it's funny too. I uh, part of America holding. Uh, we we have to we have to make special for the we got special considerations for the stupid. I'm tired of it. Well, it, it's funny you should say that because the person I did talk to right before, like a week before the election, was Tim Slagle, who was uh, scheduled to perform at Acme on election night. And Lewis Lee told him, the, for folks listening, Lewis Lee uh, is the owner of the Acme uh, Comedy Club in Minneapolis. Lewis Lee told him that, you know, it, it, it might be a foregone conclusion by the time you get on stage. And Tim sort of believed it. And I was like, nah, I don't think so. I think he's got a real good chance of winning. And then Tim made this analogy, which was brilliant. He goes, it's with the polls, he's like, it's people that say they watch PBS. They don't watch as much as they say they probably do. And that was where the Trump support came from. The, the Hillary people were like, ran the gamut of not real thrilled to their two big supporters, where Trump's base was, they were all for him accosting women and shoving diplomats out of the way and just being an, an oafish American. They ate that up. Yeah. Well, good for them. <laughs> well, well, but, it, but, I mean, is, is my assessment accurate, do you think? I mean, because that's still, see, the, the people that support him still seem to be people that are what we are, are oafish Americans that... It's it's crazy, and like I said, it's, it depends on what circles you move in. Do you find there's like different pockets of people that that are outraged versus people that are accepting? Because what's weird is if you go on my Facebook page, it seems there's a lot more people support him than are against him. But then when I'm talking to my office mates, shockingly, uh, most people here are against him. So it's kind of refreshing to see that you know what I call regular folk who probably don't follow politics as closely uh, are just as aghast as I am. Well, it's. It, he, he got the support of people who 
No. Even when you point out to them. He's like, he's like, he's like them. Unfortunately, America gets the leaders it deserves. So it must have been a very naughty nation recently. Yeah, it's never been truer. Yeah, and even when you point out facts like this, this stupid wall he wants to build, it's only going to keep, at best, at best it'll keep 60% of the people out. And that's a high estimate. What about the other 40, the fly-in? We're coming by boat. But, the, but this, that, they never make that, that leap. No. No, it's, it's, you know, trying to confuse them with your fancy multiplication tables and shit. <laughs> yeah. Your fancy book learning. Your book learning, yeah. Yeah, we're tired of being told what to do just because you think you know more because you're educated. Yeah, that's what education does. So the uh, the tour is called Durst Case Scenario, and uh, and what what's it built? What's the uh, the the overall premise? Because usually you have a theme to these things that ties everything together. Uh, yeah, uh, this is not the one man show. I'm just doing stand up. Oh, you are okay. Not, uh, oh, I miss, I was yeah. reading down the, your list of appearances for the end of the podcast. And I oh, oh you're right. Oh, it is, yeah. well, I'm, it doing is, the, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm doing the one man show uh, various places, but I still have to work clubs because I have to have to find out what the the regular people are. But when I do theaters, like I'm doing a theater every Tuesday here in San Francisco. Okay. And it's a it's a ninety minute show, and I just did the press opening on Tuesday, so I don't know what the reviews are going to be like. Okay. Well, very good. So I guess it must be a nice change of pace, though, then, to go do the, the stand-up set. Yeah, I'm just doing the stand-up, so it'll, it'll mostly focus on uh, Trump. But, you know, my job is not to change the way people think. Well, no. I'm not out, I'm not out to proselytize. I'm, I'm just going to tell jokes. Exactly. Well, yeah, exactly. And that seems to be... But, but the show is not for everyone. <laughs> if, the show, no. If, if you think Trump is a breath of fresh air, don't. <laughs> if, if you're if you're put up by big words, stay home. <laughs> well, it's funny because when I was a kid, uh, you know, it, it was just you made fun of the president. I remember my my mom's uh, uh, friend. He was um, uh, we were in the Big Brothers program, Big Brothers and Big Sisters, and this, the guy that uh, ran the program in our town, he was a became a friend of ours. And he was I remember sitting at our dining room table holding up Newsweek with a picture of Nixon on it, saying, "I am not a crook," and I and cracking us up. And I had no idea. The politics of it. Okay. it was just a funny impression. And then even Dan Aykroyd doing Jimmy Carter on Saturday Night Live. It was just a funny impression. We had a, a, a guy, this soft-spoken guy from Georgia, had become president. It was wasn't mean. It was just kind of funny and folksy. And then of course everything kind of. Grad- where, where do you think the turning point was? Was it with Reagan? Was it with, or has it been a gradual thing to where it got so derisive? No, it was Newt Gingrich in '94 when he uh, when he changed the. Uh, uh, the idea of compromise into a dirty word. Aha. Uh-huh. With his contract in America. And that was that was when they started, you know, taking out Clinton for any possible reason whatsoever. You know, I, there was a guy, there was a senator, uh, I mean, a congressman from uh, outside of Georgia. His name was Bob Barr. And yeah. he called for Clinton. He called called for Clinton's uh, impeachment on January 22nd, 1993, <laughs> the day after he was inaugurated. So that's, that's, Clinton somehow pissed people off because he was able to triangulate the Democratic Party and bring him to more conservatives and Republicans felt that, uh, you know, work. 
Yeah. Well, what's weird is is our friend. I remember our uh, what our friend Jimmy Dore had pointed out uh, is that you know they hated Clinton, yet they got him to get rid of the Glass Steagall Act. They got him to gut uh, welfare, and they still hate. They still try to throw him out of office. Yeah. Yeah. Clinton. Clinton was not the. You know. I mean. Well, it's like it's like the healthcare thing. You know, Republicans say that Obama rammed it through. Well, yeah, but they had hearings and Republicans offered up amendments and then they voted against the bill even though the Democrats adopted their amendments. So, uh, and this one, they, they refused to, you know, allow any Democratic amendments. So the skinny repeal failed and they're going to try the emaciated repeal then the anorexic appeal <laughs> like cadaverous repeal, it's dead on arrival. Yeah, yeah. Do you think McCain's vote is a signal that things might be turning in a different direction, or because it seems like a lot of Republicans are fed up with him? Like they, I mean, they were mad at Bush because oh, he shouldn't be uh, spending deficit spending to, to to do a war because you know the real hardcore Republicans really don't want the more like uh, libertarians. They don't want war, but uh, there it, it's a much different, a much uh, I guess higher level of, of disdain with Trump. Well, I'm I'm not very uh, optimistic. I think it's going to get worse. I think uh, I think there's going to be an attack on America, and then we're going to have to rally around our beloved leader, and then there'll be uh. loyalties, and and yeah, people will be accosted on the street for for not uh, supporting our our beloved leader. And I, I that's my prediction. Two years of great material. Two years of running and hiding and eight to <laughs> ten years of re-education camp on a Montana gulag. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll be interested to see what's going to happen, in, uh, of course, in, in four years. And it's weird because people are saying, oh, well, he." I guess the other day he was on about Hillary, and people are saying, why is he still running against Hillary? Because I think he's secretly <laughs> afraid he's going to have to run against Hillary in another four years. Yeah, I don't know. She'll be 74 then. Yeah, he's 73. He'll be 74. Yeah, I, Bernie will be 78. Joe yeah. Biden will be 78. You know, so, yeah, I think it's going to be like, uh, I think the Democrats realize or will realize that the only way to stir the base is by getting the, the black vote out and uh, either go with Cory Booker or Kamala Harris. Oh, yeah. Uh, what about Elizabeth Warren? I guess it's all about that energized base, which... Uh... I'm just afraid, I'm just afraid he's going to outsource our uh, electoral uh, counting mechanisms. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, they've been trying that for yeah. years with, uh, with the... I know. Yeah, guaranteeing that... You know, it'll... Yeah. It's crazy. So, do you ever feel like you'd rather just talk about baseball on stage? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. And normally, normally, you know, people who have seen it before get attest to the fact that, you know, I 
That's a good way to look at it. Um, do you follow baseball still? Yeah, yeah. yeah this is a bad year for the Giants. So. It's, I th- yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my team's hanging yeah. in there. Who are you? The Indians. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good luck on that. They had, a, what, a nine-game winning streak? They did, and then they lost, uh, they lost the last game in Chicago on Sunday. Uh, Tomlin left with a hamstring pull. He was had his pitching a no-hitter into the fifth. Uh, pulled a hammy, and then the bullpen blew it. And then they got they lost in the ninth inning, I think, two nights in a row in Boston. They got rained out last night. So. Oh, that's right. The three-run home run. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Body, sorry. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, terrible. So. But I think you'll take it to the end. Just don't mention it because, you know, this is going to run in a Min- Minneapolis. In Minneapolis paper, <laughs> yep. and the Twins are fighting them. Now. They are there. Well, the Royals are right behind us, and the Twins behind them. But boy, good luck stopping the Dodgers, though. Holy cow! I know that they're the off. Dodgers the, are unstoppable. They're off the chain. But because <laughs> I don't really don't follow that. I live in a National League town in Cincinnati, but I don't really. If the Reds aren't doing well, I don't follow the National League at all. And since the Indians are doing so well, I'm concentrating on the American League. But I was out in Las Vegas, and I got to read the LA Times, which is like the best part of going out to Las Vegas. And I was going through the sports section. I was reading it. I'm like, holy cow. I didn't realize how well they were doing. And uh, it's crazy. Yeah, they're on pace for 100 games. They're 40 games over 500. But yeah. they lost Kershaw. So. For what, yeah, for about eight weeks. Yeah, but I, I remember in 54, yeah. the Indians won 110 games, and the Giants still beat them in the World Series. So we'll yeah. see. Yeah, you never know. So, um, I know. So the, uh, the the Durst case scenario one man show is that just in San Francisco or is that I guess I saw it's going around other places in the country as well. Yeah, I'm trying to work up a little circuit of theaters. Um, I'm doing Milwaukee and Sturgeon Bay and Denver and uh, uh, Steamboat Springs. I'm doing a couple and making incidental forays. And then what I want to do is I want to plant it, plant the show for uh, a period of time in in some theater. And then just run it and get really good at it, and then okay. tape it and see if Netflix or anybody is. Interested. Oh, there you go. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, I need to get to the Taft here in Cincinnati. That'd be a nice theater for that. How big is it? Three thousand seats, maybe. No, no, no. I'm looking for something between two hundred and oh, okay. three hundred. Oh, there's there's a couple. Yeah. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll email Eve um, and pa- pass it along to you. Although I might have your email address. Come to think of it. There's a, there's a couple theaters that they've been doing shows at. Every little bit helps. Yeah, yeah. I'll uh, I'll pass along some venues here. You might want to look into. Uh, I can send another one off the top of my head. I think would be good good for that. So, well, great, man. Uh, continued success. Glad the election worked out for you, <laughs> particularly. Of, of all... Yeah, but I would have been willing to take a bullet for the country. You there know? you go. That's all right. Because you're, you're, <laughs> you're a because you're a patriot. True <laughs> true. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks. Well, good talking to you. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Will Durst for being on the show. Always a fun chat with Will about politics. And you can catch Will and his Durst Case Scenario Tour. Let's see, August 1st, it looks like, through the 10th. 
at uh, in San Francisco there. And I'm sorry, through the 8th in San Francisco. Then he's in Redding, uh, California, Chico, California. Comes to Minneapolis August 15th through the 19th. You can find out uh, all the Wildurst tour dates at wildurst.com. And uh, it's, a, it's like a newspaper, uh, the way his uh, webpage is laid out, his homepage is laid out. Kind of, it's fun stuff. You can get all kinds of information and parody and satire from Will there. And you can also go see him live, of course. So uh, we're going to skip right to the song of the week here. Don't have any other orders of business to take care of. Uh, like I said, the uh, song of the week is from The Pains of Being Pure at Heart, who are from Brooklyn. Uh, their previous single this spring was a track called Anymore, uh, which went right by me. I didn't even realize that their publicist had sent me the download for the album last week. I said, hey, could I get an MP3 of the new single? And he said, I, I sent you a download for the whole album. The album's Echo of Pleasure comes out September 1st, same as OMD's The Punishment of Luxury. The uh, current single they're promoting from The Pains of Being Pure at Heart is When I Dance With You, and I like it. It's very, uh, it's very keyboardy, very technical. Well, they're very keyboardy, of course, but this is sounds... Uh, Hate to use the word almost retro, if you will. Uh, kind of has that uh, 80s feel to it, which, and then that's okay with me, as you know. So here we have the song of the week from the pains of being pure at heart. When I dance with you, PF's tape recorder, so long, and thanks for listening. <laughs> 